I'm Asan. It's Friday, and this is the Friday Show. It's the winter break, a quiet week if you're not an Evertonian. So we're going to use it to chat about the first half of the season and how it's gone and how the players are faring individually. I may even give Kyle Walker a grade. <laughs> That's a bit of an inside joke for, for long-time listeners. Uh, joining me are the two men who make me sound good most weeks, Steve and Howard. Morning, Howard. Morning. How are we you doing? Right? Uh yeah, not bad. Reach Friday, the sun's out for a day. Unlike in Ibiza over here. So yeah. I like Fridays. So I know you like Mondays because you're just weird all over, but <laughs> <laughs> Fridays are much better than Mondays, let me put it that way. So uh, Howard Howard lands a blow early in the podcast. <laughs> steps, steps into the middle of the ring and goes bang, I'll land one on his chin. Uh, Steve, how I, are you I, doing? I did say on WhatsApp I'm a bit sluggish this morning. I made I decided to make my own homemade sweet and sour chicken last night for Last night and tonight's tea, and I ate both portions <laughs> no. last night. Woke up at 3 a.m., you know, with that thirst, so I haven't slept much either. <laughs> and I feel so sluggish now, like, oh, the shame of it. So, anyway, yeah, <laughs> but it's Friday, so never mind. Very good. Steve? Hello, how are you, sir? You with me? Yes. Excellent. Um, how are you, more to the point? good it's a crisp cold morning um which i i do love feathers um mm. yeah all good it's kind of a weird weekend as we'll get into with no city and just a couple of fixtures on both days um but it's been less work for me so that again that's good excellent well look i've got an agenda i might use it i might not it just depends on what mood <laughs> i'm in and, and what what i feel like talking excuse about excuse me took yes. me three hours to put that together <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, you were awake anyway from the the <laughs> MSG ten minutes. sweats or whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever you had. Do you know what I, mean? I, I did put MSG in my <laughs> sweet cell, by the way. No, I, I don't even right. know what MSG is. All oh, right, it's the best. I I don't know what it actually is. No, but no one knows what it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm happy for you to freestyle it. Don't worry, Ace. So, should we just do like a a cooking podcast? Bearing in <laughs> mind that there's very little football to talk about. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd like to start that. right by saying Lusaka, bullshit. It's just bullshit. <laughs> there you go. Right. It takes well, you ages. know what? You know, you know what I'm putting in the bin: bay leaves. At, oh at, yeah, I had yes. a conversation on Twitter recently, but I do not see the point in bay leaves. I, even, I remember it. as a kid, I remember as a kid because you put bay leaves in a lot of Pakistani food. I remember as a kid saying to my mom, "Why do you keep putting these leaves in the food? They taste rank, and there's just no point in them." So she stopped doing it. I don't even notice it. Yeah, if I put them in, and then in the next time I, I try a same meal, I don't put them in. It tastes exactly the same. Yeah, I just I, if I bite into one, it's just hanging. I just Ugh. no, yeah. no, no. It's a big, uh, it's big uh, chef scam. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think the, so. the bay leaf industry. <laughs> the bay oh, leaf yeah, industry. Yeah. You have to sign this form that says you know, uh, <laughs> no whistleblowers if you ever work in a restaurant. <laughs> We're on to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got him. We've got him. Right, listen, we are going to talk football. Um, Steve. Are you grateful for the break or do you kind of miss the fact that City are playing this weekend? 
Oh, I, I absolutely, absolutely the latter. Um, considering okay. how exhilarating the game was last weekend as well, how exciting it yeah. was, um, it really kind of, you know, I'm in the mood, basically. I really want City to play this weekend. And instead, the fixtures aren't exactly great either this weekend when we look at them. You know, at Bournemouth, Liverpool is pretty intriguing, given that Areola Bulls kind of, you know, coming to full effect now at Vitality. But Arsenal, Crystal Palace has got 2-0 all over it. The other two games got 1-0 written all over it. I, w- I, want, I want City. I want a 4-3. I want some excitement. Okay. Howard, what about you? Are you are you grateful Same. for the break? No, it's, uh, no, something's switched. Uh, yeah, or oh, a switch flipped, flickered in my brain when uh, that last minute goal went in last week. Yeah, yeah, I would have liked to gain the next day. To be honest, mm, yes, exactly. Uh, just rec- I mean, that would have been very good uh, for the players. But no, I just wanted. I normally love breaks, but. There's nothing going on. I mean, even internationals, God, I can I can watch England on in the background, I guess. Or yeah. You know, or I can switch to other sports when there's a week off, but there's just nothing going on. Uh, I could really do with a city match this weekend, to be honest. But it's good for the team. Uh, you know, I, I think uh warm weather training, get a bit of relaxation really fired up but I I wasn't really seeing that fatigue either I don't mm. I think it's actually come at a time where they didn't need really? could, yeah. probably could have waited a month and then like oh this would be a good time to get uh, some exercise back in the butt you know maybe Ernie Harland would be closer John Stones would be closer a couple of those that are out it gives us time basically we you know especially when very few league games on the horizon so uh, I'm fine with it, but I am bored. There's no two ways mm. about it. I'm bored. I think. Uh, I think for me, with the with the there's a there's a there's a group of players who have got a lot of minutes in their legs already this season, um, and I've a little bit got my eye on on the long game. As in, I've got my eye on, and particularly April and May, and mm. so I'm all right with the break right now. I'm kind of you know. My my only demand, it's a very small demand, but my only demand is that we win the Premier League this season. Hmm. Um, and so I'd like us to be as strong as we can be going into the what will be the run-in. So yeah, I'm I'm all right with uh with the break. And look, I mean, it, great segue because the break allows everybody to focus on the stuff that we love the most, football finances. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> What a what a week it's been, man! Wow. I mean, we've lost Stefan to to the uh, to to the big leagues, to the mainstream media. I don't think we're <laughs> ever getting him back. Do you know, what we I mean? were lucky. I, I, yeah, lucky to hold on to him for this long. To be definitely, honest. definitely, he's got he's got a big transfer to Sky Sports headed his way at some point in the next three months, and if not. Sky Sports, then it'll be directly to the boardroom of a Premier League club. But he's definitely, uh, he's definitely outgrowing nine three twenty. Um, Steve, I'm going to start with you because how so? How do you how do you feel about what's happened to Everton and Forest and like watching it all unfold? Do you care or does it sort of numb your mind all this? focus on the finances of Premier League clubs? 
Well, generally speaking, it absolutely numbs me senseless, if that makes sense. Yeah, numbs me sen- Yeah, I'll be senseless because yeah. I'm no. Yeah, uh, that's how I feel generally about football finances. I don't understand it. I'm not an accountant. I've got no interest in it. Even going back to school days, I was very much kind of in the English camp and not maths. It's it's kind of bores the hell out of me. And then suddenly it's become this accompanying kind of creature to our, on our journey to success with City. And I have to acknowledge it on a, a sometimes a daily basis, sometimes a weekly basis. So I've actually, although I have some degree of, of sympathy with Evertonians and what they're facing right now, uh, less so with Nottingham Forest. Um, but I've actually quite enjoyed it, to be honest, kind of seeing it all unfold. Mm. It, it's it's the Premier League making one bad decision after another. Um, and there's only one way that's going to end, which is they're going to be the losers ultimately. But until that happens, then clubs getting docked points. And that's a substantial punishment. And then you don't know where that's going to lead for the likes of Everton, you know, relegation and would they ever come back? So that's a genuine concern. But looking at the news and how it's developing and how it's being portrayed and how it's being talked about on social media, there's a little bit of, obviously there's the what about cities to deal with. But that aside, I'm kind of stepping back and watching it from a distance and I'm finding it all quite fascinating, even though the subject as a whole doesn't interest me. It's... It's all quite bizarre. The Nottingham Forest one's very straightforward for me in that season four last, the summer four last, I should say, they bought 420 players, just mm. absolutely lost their minds. And the whole time you're thinking, hmm, this doesn't ring true. This is this is going to have consequences. The Everton one, poor management by those in charge at the club. They are the worst run club in the Premier League by some distance, Everton. Um, and that's why I have some sympathy with Evertonians. But the way that Evertonians are responding and just focusing on City is, it's by turns hilarious and exasperating. Um, but all in all, it's, it's kept me entertained. <laughs> Howard, um, did you catch Stefan on TalkSport no. yesterday? No, I'm afraid... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if we just we just say that Louis, you know, he, he put a WhatsApp link up for it and we went, I just did that McDonald's meme. Now nah, you're all right, because not because of Stefan, of course, because of Talksport. I will listen to it over the weekend. But I just know I just I'm sorry it's Simon Jordan. <laughs> I can't uh maybe I'll you know, I'll watch it so that I can listen to Stefan rather than you know the interjection, the the no doubt common interjections from Jordan and and White, which is why I put in the notes for you because I know you listen to it, and so maybe I should throw it back to you. Uh, mm. You you have watched it, listened to it, I assume. Yeah, yeah. So what what were your thoughts on Ace uh, Ace on what Stefan said and what I asked in the notes? Uh, Great deflection by me, this. <laughs> Not answering the pure politicians of this. I've just thrown it back to you. Very skilled. Very skilled. Yeah. Uh, I will listen to it at some point. But how did you think Stefan covered uh, Obviously, he's had great praise for it, as he should, because he he's been the best commentator on this from day one. But I asked a question that, do you think he's being fair on Everton and their fans? In you know, Because he has been very straight about this, that Everton should have very little sympathy. Well, I think I think Stefan's point of view, which is absolutely correct, is that these are the rules 
and you've broken them. And so it, everything else is just a lot of noise. And, and actually, he's absolutely right. I think that I've... We we had me and him had a, 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 a an exchange of messages after the Jordan show that I did on Wednesday, where basically he was like he was like you're wrong in 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 your defense of Everton, and I and I, I replied to him and said I know that I'm wrong, but it, for me it's not for me the conversation is almost a moral one as opposed to one about the rule book. He's absolutely right. Everton are banged to rights in the same way that Forrest are banged to rights. But for me, the conversation is, what are they banged to rights for? Well, they're yeah. banged to rights for having owners who spend money on their football club. And for me, that shouldn't be a crime and there shouldn't be some arbitrary line in the sand where some fella goes, well, you can lose... 80 million but you can't lose 100 million i think that well, that's where i that that's where morally i've always had an issue with this kind of modern financial fair play or psr whatever you want to call it but just to throw it back to the two of you um do you howard i'll start with you do you feel that do you feel that the um the narrative is shifting and the tide is turning in terms of, I think that we've lived through as City fans a decade of financial fair play being held up as something that's very important for football and very important for the game and very important for the integrity of the game. Do you feel as though that narrative is shifting now? Well, yeah, a bit because it's suddenly, it's, you know, their club being affected. So I don't know. Has it shifted with a Southampton fan? <laughs> I mean, obviously, there's different rules in the Championship and the EFL. But let's say that you know Premier League clubs that aren't affected yet by this has their mood shifted? Probably not. That's probably strengthened them. They're saying, "Good, you know, we're we're abiding by the rules." So, uh, and they see opportunity as well. All football fans see opportunity when other clubs are punished. That's why. So many rival fans are desperate for City to be penalised because it gives their team a better chance of success because City is stopping them being successful. That's the only way it works with football fans. Once it affects you, suddenly your mood changes. I mean, City fans have always been totally against financial fair play. What a surprise because it restricts us or did do and it doesn't anymore, really. You know, we're, we're now powerful and got the revenue and the setup that... It, you know, it's actually a bit of a, a bonus for us. So it'll only shift for fans who are then adversely affected by it, I think. I know there's a lot of chatter out there that might make other fans think about it, but getting through to people that this financial fair play was never set up for the good of football, really, or it was certainly changed and edited so that it, to re, you know, to retain, for basically to retain this, the old status quo. It's almost impossible a lot of time. It's just like, oh, you would say that because it comes from City fans. It needs fans of other clubs to drill this home for the message to get through to a lot of fans, I think. Because PS, I mean, the current rules are a bit different from what we first you know, had to deal with, the first financial fair play ones. I'm not totally against them, but again, it's all so vague and it's always the fans that suffer. Like, why 105 million? And 105 million loss is different to Bournemouth as it is to Manchester United. Mm. So, you know, should it be a set amount or should it be percentages? Or should, it doesn't really deal with... It, this is not about 
protecting the future of clubs, is it? The fit and proper rule is far, far more important about the survival of football clubs as another club went to the wall yesterday, further down the pyramid. So I think only when it starts affecting clubs will a lot of fans wake up, but it does help to have other fan bases saying this because I don't think the voices of City fans really counted for much historically because we weren't taken seriously when we could see what financial fair play was and why it was set up and who it favoured. I completely agree. I, I do think a, a huge factor in the coverage of this and how that coverage hits home to the general public, a huge factor is who it's coming from. And I completely agree, Howard. I think when we speak, no one really takes us seriously because they just see inherent bias um, I mean, Stefan's even been accused of this a couple of times on Twitter. And, um, I saw someone when he was um, to do with Jamie, when Jamie Carragher put the tweet up yesterday and uh, someone said, um, was it, I can't remember who, who he supported, but they said, oh yeah, well, you would say this, wouldn't you? You know, Jamie Carragher and, and a City fan all kind of, you know, ganging together to, to ensure, oh, what? oh yeah, yeah, Jamie Carragher, that famous advocate of Manchester City. Um, it's just ludicrous at times where, where people see bias. But I think if it comes from City fans, yeah, people are going to take it with a pinch of salt, as unfair and as annoying as that is. That's just a fact of it. But when it comes from Martin Samuel, let's say, in the mail, then it hits home more. And I think increasingly we will see external voices talk about this in a negative fashion regarding FFP. And that can only be good for the game. I think if I if I look back to Cass, right, and I, I look around the coverage around Cass, um, and even, you know, even Stefan wrote something for our website around around the Cass ruling, which um, without naming names, I asked somebody to give it a retweet. And they said they can't because their editors don't agree with the premise of what Stefan had written. And I was quite surprised at the time because the for me the implication was that there's either an element of bias or that or that Stefan is wrong somehow. So for me, on a sort of personal level, to see Stefan go on probably the biggest sports platform. Yeah. In the UK, that's what TalkSport is. The reality is whether we listen to it and we like it or not, it's probably the biggest sports media platform in the UK. To see him go on TalkSport and be given the platform to say, I think City will be cleared of all the charges. Mm. I, think, I think I think it's incredible. And I, and I think it does speak to a shift in the wider perception of what, on the one hand, you've got the the Everton and the Forest stuff and, and PSR and financial fair play. But on the other side, which is as important, Stefan being afforded the platform to talk about the City case makes people real. Like people are finally beginning to understand. Hang on. What have the league accused City of? Because yeah. it's objectively the accusations, as Stefan said, City themselves have said the accusations are accusations of conspiracy and fraud on a on an industrial scale on an industrial level. You, I mean, that's a that's a big fight to pick. That's a really big fight to pick. So the fact that that 
that piece of information, that very important context for the difference between City and Forest and Everton, the fact that that is now being given a mainstream platform via Stefan and via TalkSport. And I just think that's, I think it's what we need. And I do feel, even from supporters of other clubs that I talk to, I'm beginning to, I'm beginning to feel a shift now. I think people are beginning to see a lot of this stuff for what it is. And as importantly, they're beginning to see Richard Masters and the Premier League yes. for what yeah. it is. And I think that that was always my issue going back, going back to when these charges first dropped was what are the league doing? Because this is like, it just feels a little bit like cutting your own nose off to spite your face. And they're fighting off an independent regulator is what they're doing. And I think they've shot themselves in the foot big time. Totally. So. Totally. And what, but what did Talksport lead with? Manchester City will be relegated. Yeah, their two minute clip. Oh, of course. Yeah, but I don't what mind. What did Goal.com lead with? Uh, yeah, but. Stefan says that City will be relegated. That Not is a fact. If found guilty, you know. Yeah, but the, it, I think I think it goes without saying that there hasn't been a hearing. So, it, it, the the uh, I don't look. The mainstream media are always going to lead with the headline that gets the most clicks, exactly. right? And that's yeah. the headline that gets the most clicks. But most people are going to watch that clip, right? And if they watch the clip, they're going to see Stefan say, "I think City will be cleared of all the charges." They'll see him explain why the bar the Premier League have set themselves or set the independent commission to hurdle over is too high for an independent commission. And furthermore, uh, you said it's a, the biggest platform, and it is indeed the biggest sporting platform, but it's also the broadest, um, yes. and that's where I take a lot of comfort. So, for example, Sky Sports, huge audience, but it's people who with subscriptions, they're sitting down, they're choosing to watch that channel over another. Talk Sports, so many people just have it on in the background when they're working, whether they be taxi drivers, mechanics, whoever it may be. It, it reaches a far broader audience um, yeah. and, and so that's really encouraging. I'd just like to go back quickly to something you touched on earlier, because I find this fascinating. I, I kind of, you know, I step mm. back again and look at it from a distance because the actual intricacies of the finances, I, I have no knowledge of. I, I struggle to comprehend it. But what I find fascinating is something you, you said earlier, um, where there's this kind of dichotomy between kind of the morality of FFP and the practical or the supposed practicalities and the purpose of FFP. And so when a club breaks them, there are some people who say, yep, yeah, then the rules, they broke it. In the same way as when people talk about that fraction of an inch in offside, and some people say, yes, but he's offside's offside. Doesn't matter if it's a fraction of an inch, he's offside's offside. FFP, he broke the law, they broke the law, sorry, and that's the law, and they knew what the law was. But there's other people who say, yeah, but it's morally wrong, this law. These regulations are morally wrong. Um, I just want to throw like an analogy in there, which is I live in Wales, and in the past six months or so, they've introduced a blanket 20 miles an hour speed limit, uh, including a lot of main roads. Now, this is changing now, but for the last six months, you've been going down main roads, driving at 20 miles an hour, and frankly, it is ludicrous beyond belief that you're doing so. And if you hear of someone getting caught speeding, because they're doing 28 miles an hour. It's quite interesting to see how people are responding to that. It's the people are being sympathetic mm. and people are saying, well, it's just a stupid law. And I think more and more people are, are coming around to that way of thinking with FFP. I think 
that's where the shift is. That's where the, the kind of um, the interesting shift is for me. The people who used to maybe say, ah, oh, yeah, but City, they knew what the laws are and they broke the law and they're cheats and et cetera, et cetera. Now people are starting to say about Everton and Not Forest, oh, this is just stupid. This is this is wrong. Yeah. And that really well, is encouraging. It is. I think I think the the the, the my, my last point on it, and Stefan said it on Talksport, which I, I'm glad he did. I'm 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 paraphrasing him, but the, the reality is that FFP was brought in to stop a repeat of what happened with City, i.e., a very wealthy owner coming in, a, a very wealthy person coming in, buying a Premier League club and upsetting the apple cart in terms of what the kind of established top four or top six is or was. That's what, that was the, that was the purpose of FFP. That was their only focus. And I think that one of the things that the penny that's dropping now is people are beginning to scratch the surface of those rules and go, hang on, so does this mean that if we get, you know, if our owner yeah. wants to do X or Y, they can't do it? Look at Newcastle. That's... We're seeing it in front of our, our eyes right now in Newcastle, where, where talk is that, you know, they want to strike us so they're going to have to sell Isaac. I mean, it's, yep. it's, it's ridiculous beyond belief, that is. And we're all seeing it, and we're all feeling it and thinking it, even if, you know, you're not necessarily a big fan of Newcastle United. No, and well, I think that you have this – sorry, Howard, go on. Uh, no, I'm just not as pro-investment. It, I think there's a lot of nuance to this, and I think it's probably worthy of a discussion, probably as a hot potatoes <laughs> discussion or something, rather than a couple of minutes. I'm not, I understand the pro-investment thing, but it isn't a level playing field. The caveat is football has never, ever been a level playing field. You can't really make it. You could, enough uh, football journalists can write articles about you know, leveling the playing field at top level football. But it isn't going to happen now, is it? This is where no. we're at. <laughs> and if you if you want to make a difference, suggest a new system that's actually logically possible. Mm. We're not going to move to fifty plus one models in this country. It's not there's no process where that happens. There's no process where money is stripped out of this the biggest league in the most popular sport in the world. And Nottingham Forest can win the league in two years and have as much chance as United. That's never happening again. The bubble's been about to burst for 30 years and it never does. And if you, if we want changes, then be at least, you know, plausible ones need to be suggested. I'm not as pro investment as you two because it is a bit of a cheat code, but I'm not saying it should be banned either. I've, I'm quite conflicted on this thing, you know, uh, and of course, investment is generally a good thing in any other walk of life, but football is slightly different, or so journalists like to say, but really, football is business as well. It's not yeah, that I, I would different, say it's no is different. it? Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm a bit conflicted about it. Uh, and the rules themselves, well, there's nothing wrong with having I The other thing is, I just don't think that Stefan... He might be right about Everton, but I don't think it is quite binary. It's like, if you, there is context sometimes. This is why we went over. I don't think if you breach the, the losses, there has been context in the past. Liverpool did when they, they was, you know, adding a stand to their stadium. Yeah. Everton have put forward arguments about, you know, Sigurdsson for one. And, and obviously, you know, they were not responsible for, 
Putin invading uh, Ukraine. I don't know if this argument, I haven't read into it like Stefan has, and I don't know the validity of their arguments. Obviously, Stefan will say, no, they're rubbish. But it isn't as by just general point. It is not as binary as like you should get punished and lose 10 points if you go over the the breach, you know, if you breach those amounts and Everton have put an argument forward that hasn't been, you know, there's a discussion and nuance to be had. It's always the fans that are dumped on, of course, always, but Everton fans have let themselves down a lot by bringing City into this, but they've acted no differently to how City fans or any other fan base would have acted in in this situation. They've bemoaned those owners for years and years, so that now Mm -hmm. now that they've seen the They've the fallout of this, and they're arguing that rules changed. I remember City doing this. City fans were doing the same. Oh, they changed the rules you wave in 2012. Again, it's like scratching around for reasons in a way that aren't really there. And I don't think it helps really. I think more fans need to accept. Well, to be honest, you haven't got that much of a case to offer. It's more, do we really? I think the bigger argument is, do we really deserve to be, you know. <laughs> done twice and lose this amount of points where has this point deduction come from who decides it who decides the numbers that sort of thing is a much stronger argument I think than just saying it isn't fair we shouldn't get any punishment mm. I mean there's 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 a lot in there but there probably it probably is its own podcast we could I think continue it is, down yeah. this rabbit because I could be uh, yeah with a bit more thought a bit, a bit more clarity but I yeah I do struggle with this about what money should be allowed to go into football it is nuanced and it's not straightforward i don't think i just don't think you should be allowed to put infinite money into a club invest you know stadium and stuff that is outside ffp now anyway it's absolutely fine the infrastructure and that but i don't know i i do desire a more level playing field but we're never going to get it so it's a pointless. so then what because you said something before you said oh well i don't think that uh it should just be like a you know that people should be able to invest what they want because it's a bit of a cheat code and as soon as you said that there's a part of me that went i don't like that I don't like what you just said there because that mm. implies that this guy's money over here is a cheat, whereas this fella over here, because he's bought a football club that is was historically more successful, his money is not a cheat. So effectively, if I buy Man United, I can buy whichever player I want and nobody will say, oh, that's a cheat code. But if I buy Newcastle or I buy Brighton, and I let them buy the same players. People will say it's a cheat code, and I don't really see the distinction. I don't. I don't see the difference between the two. Okay. Well, as I said, it's not a level playing field, is it? So, someone taking a. <laughs> it's hard because I don't have the solution here. He <laughs> said, in a way, if a mm. pretty much all the clubs are owned in the top level are owned by billionaires anyway. So, mm. but if someone came in, it's not a coherent argument that i've put together here i i am conflicted is all i'm saying i don't i need to think more about it i don't know what the solution is if a re, if a someone with 200 billion pounds behind it came in and bought bournemouth and then built them up hey i wouldn't be arguing and i'm not arguing against newcastle but if you were you know a sheffield united fan watching that you think well this just isn't fair it's not a level playing field we can't football it's about competitiveness football should not rely on can we find a rich owner to 
to plough no, money I, into I is, is my yeah. argument yeah. in a way. Yeah. Uh, I'm not totally for this. I'm not like, I pay, you know, I'm, I'm quite, I'm very happy with my lot right now. And I don't think there is a solution to this either of a real, a, a true level playing field. So I don't have the answers. I was just putting out there. I'm not, I don't, football just now attracts billionaires. And in a way, I can see why people have a problem with that. But it is the biggest league in the biggest global sport in the world. And that's inevitable in a way. Basically, Howard, Howard, you're a hippie. (laughs) Let's get down to it. I mean, look, I'm coming for this. Like, I've seen it all now. We've won it all now. So if suddenly, like, it all became a level playing field and City had no advantage over United, who had no advantage over Sheffield United, that would be brilliant. I think as City fans, we'd really enjoy that mm. because the pressure is not there. There's, I mean, it's we've talked about the fatigue of being a City fan. We've talked about it now. The bar is so high that you have to win everything just to, like, that Pep is still considered a fraud by so many people. And I've seen... The lack of atmosphere at grounds, absolutely dead at Old Trafford last weekend for Spurs game, which is a big game. And it was on the Sunday, was it not? I think, yeah. There should be a cracking atmosphere there. I think a lot of football fans are bored and a huge shake-up like that would bring the buzz back to football in a way. So yeah, it is hippie socialist (laughs) nonsense. (laughs) Perfect Friday morning material. This. What is he talking about, mate? He's had too many coffees. He's had too many coffees, hasn't he? You sound like you're dark. It goes back to that idea of like pining for something that never existed. Whatever it is that you pine for, it just never existed (laughs) in the first place. So, right. Enough. Enough PSR bollocks. Um, As it's the halfway point, more or less, in the season, thought it'd be a good time to. To, to chat about the players and and how everybody we, how we feel everybody's done so far, um, Mister Hawkin, I'm going to stay with you. Edison, start with the keeper. How are you feeling about Edison's first half of the season? Ooh, uh, well, I hope the hole in his legs healed for starters. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Bit of a mixed bag. So, but basically, just to be brief, I thought he was. I thought he re- really came of age in the second half of last season his Champions League performance was a their f- uh, final performance was a fitting end I think He'd sh- his, his weakness was shot stopping and sometimes positioning and he, it massively improved it massively improved so he was a real star of that treble winning season and that squad and his his role in that Champions League final was almost as big if not as big as Rodri's role uh, in us winning and for the first time getting the treble this season bit more up and down it's not shot stopping that he's suddenly like again they're going past him easily I think he's been a bit rash at times because he had a little I mean he's got away with a couple he got a yellow card in one match that was probably fair but if the attacking player I can't remember which game it was uh, if he hit it more towards goal he could have been off there was an offside one I think in the Club World Cup where he, he came out did he not and wiped someone out he's just a bit more rash yeah I've always accepted that he's so proactive a keeper that there will be a mistake there during the season uh, but generally I'm still pretty happy with him uh, when he went off against Newcastle I really rate Ortega well I felt that if he was out you know, I didn't know at the time what the issue was. I didn't realise 
someone had dug a stud into his leg. I thought if he's out for three months with some, you know, knee problem, that's a huge problem for the rest of our season. So that tells you how much I rate him because his distribution is still key to how we play. So I'm generally happy with him, but he has had a few wobbles, I think, in the first half of the season. But as we go through the squad, we're probably going to say that in that first third of the season. We're probably going to say that about most of the players. So mm. so what I'm not going to do is go through everybody individually and also give both of you the chance to speak on everybody individually because mm, I think mm. we'll be here for most of the afternoon. Um, Steve, moving over to you, a quick word on Ortega uh, and when he's been called upon how you think he's done and then a word on probably the fellow who's had the most stick so far this yes. season, uh, Kyle Walker. So Ortega and then Walker from you, please. Ortega is reassurance. Um, which is something that we've wanted for the past couple of seasons. As soon as basically we saw what we had in Edison, it was like, right, okay, we are going places with this lad. You know, his distribution is off a scale. He is integral to how we play football. We need a backup keeper that, you know, you feel reassured by or take his reassurance. And for that, I am immensely grateful. Um, I like the lad. He, if he's playing, I, I don't see a rick in him, you know, there's flaws to his game. And, you know, furthermore, of course, he is when it comes to distribution a 7 out of 10 compared to a 10 out of 10 Edison. But who does compare to Edison when it comes to distribution? Um, so I'm very happy with Ortega, I have to say, and I want him to stay at the club for a couple of, couple of years yet. Kyle Walker, well, I'm going to make myself immensely unpopular here, by, but this does need pointing out that statistically, he is our best defender this season statistically um a lot of that might be kind of you know uh because of his assists there's a couple of assists in there uh his pass completion rate is is very high um things which you know to the naked eye really you, you can see that it's just not right with him i don't know if your know, off-field problems maybe kind of um bleeding into his performances um the fact that he's got the contract and the captaincy and, and just that little bit of complacency, a little dip, maybe just a couple of percent, maybe it's that. Uh, for whatever reason, it's not quite right. It's not quite working. He is our weak link. And we should say as well, we've gone through a couple of seasons where we don't, haven't even had a weak link. So just seeing one kind of makes it glaring to us. Um, he plays every minute of every game. I don't quite know why. Um, but maybe, maybe he's had a little too much flack because, like I say, we're not used to having a weak link in the side. Would okay. you say that's fair? Uh, no, I think generous. <laughs> um, I'll keep. I'll keep it brief. Okay. Um, I think uh, overall the responsibility of the senior players to set standards on the football pitch. And I, I think Walker's fallen short of the standards that he's set. If on top of that, you find yourself in the tabloids every week for nonsense, well, yeah, I mean, from from somebody who is the club captain, I, I expect a little bit more, I think, I think he's been I think he's been a massive disappointment in the first half of the season season, even more so considering he was given a new contract in the no, summer, go along with that. and the club Absolutely. went out of their way to to keep him and make him feel important. Um they were, they were you right to do, do so, but yeah. I don't think anyone was against that at the time. But mm. the amount of time he's played is 
he, yeah, well, he was. Possibly. He did. He did end the season, not Champions League. Yeah, he ended the season last season playing a lot of games. But I really wanted him to stay to to continue the role he had as an option. He was getting. He was getting to that point where he couldn't invert or do that. You know, the three and two that we were doing last season, and he was another brilliant option to have, depending on who we're playing. The surprise is he's just always playing, and it might obviously it's linked to Stones and it's linked to Kevin De Bruyne, John Stones and Kevin De Bruyne being injured for the whole season, so it may not continue now if they can both stay. When John Stones comes back, if they both stay fit, uh, I think the more traditional role that you saw, like you know, just staying back as a defender would suit him more, but it's. Yeah, just playing every single week has been strange, to be honest. Pep clearly has no sees no other option, which has mm. surprised me. Yeah, because I thought Rico Lewis could have played some time there, but or does he see him as a midfielder? So, yeah, it, it's not been a. Let's be honest, it's not been a stellar season for us, to put it bluntly. And I think if he was reverted to a more traditional role, we might see better performances from him rather than that roving okay. high up the pitch role. I think has mm. re- he's really struggled with that big time. Okay. Steve, uh, going to take the centre-backs uh, as a whole. Mm. Stones, Akanji, Diaz. I'm going to throw Gvardiol and Ake in because they both played both centre-back and full-back. Um, who has been the pick of the bunch and who has been the stinky cat in the litter? Diaz has been the stinky cat in the litter, um, which is a shame because I, I admire him hugely and I really like him. Um, I like the, the style of footballer he is, the type of, of footballer, but he has just had mistake after mistake in him. Um, so really surprisingly, he's looked kind of weak in duels, which you know would be his kind of biggest strength, you would say, particularly last season. You'd back him in one-on-ones every time. Now less so. His decision-making has been erratic and poor, to be fair. Um, so I think he has been the worst of the bunch. Um, Ake is just, it's just personal opinion, and it's, it's not wholly based on this season, to be honest. Ake, for me, is a personal favourite. He's someone I would love yeah. to see start every Plus. game. Yeah, absolute class. Whether it's left back or centre back, I have complete faith in that lad. Um, and I just think he's a superb defender. So I think Akanji gets more stick than he deserves. Um, to the extent where I'm surprised sometimes when I see what people say about him on Twitter. I know he has his supporters as much as he has his detractors, but still in the latter camp, I'm a bit surprised by the, the strength of feeling some people have towards Akanji because I think he's, he's perfectly fine. Um, but what we can't get away from is the lack of clean sheets this season. So if you're looking at the defenders as a whole, we have not done great with clean sheets. I'm just trying to top them up now, but it's it's far less than it was last season or the season before that as well. So that is damning, really. Uh, and then from there, of course, you go to the 4-4 at Stamford Bridge, um, conceding two goals at Palace in kind of almost farcical fashion. There's been too many of them this season. It's cost us dear. Mm. I would say, yeah, you know, I think defence is symptomatic of about six weeks ago we did a pod and we said, has anyone got an eight, nine out of ten for this season across the squad? You know, we couldn't really say anyone, could we? But hopefully we're getting into that City are stronger in the second half phase now and we'll, you hope that we'll get a lot better marks at the end of the season for a lot of players because yeah. 
none of them were really stellar, were they? Just a good six weeks ago, but my mindset and confidence has completely changed since then. I would I, just, I just suggest. Well, so, sorry, Howard. Can I just say about clean sheets? It's twenty five percent of uh, mm. clean sheets this season, whereas last season was forty eight percent. Season before that was about forty nine percent. So typically, yeah. one in every other game we keep a clean sheet, and now it's one in every four. What well, I do have some sympathy for the defenders that the structure is just not there. They are a bit exposed a lot of the time. I mean, the Kanji, you, you, you misplay sometimes most the underrated ones when they're not playing, and he would have been perfect, I think, for that Newcastle game. Yeah. Who uh, really needed him out and his speed as much as anything. Diaz, I would just suggest, yeah, I, I saw someone say he looks like he's running through glue sometimes, and I think that's a, yeah, kind of sums it up quite well. I think, so I suggest he's just not as flexible as the other defenders. So he's just not as good. I don't know. He might just be out of form a bit. <laughs> they might, they, we might be overthinking things and he's just not in great form. Uh, but he's not as good at the right centre-back, I think, but needs must that he plays there. And it just looks a bit unsettled in that side. He does not look settled in it at all. Mm, I think one of the things... I, I, so for me, very briefly, I think with the, the back four as a whole, I think what we... I, I think John Stones is far more important than we realize. I think yeah. that Stones being in completely changes the stability of the side. I think not having Stones in the side gives Guardiola several headaches because of his adaptability because stones is basically a world-class center back but has also developed into a top draw center midfield player and it basically means that he is he's like rodri next to rodri in front of rodri if that makes sense like there's a sort of there's a there's an exponential strength that having stones at centre-back will give you. And what, so when you take him out, I think we're seeing the flip side of that, that then you realise, oh, okay, so Walker is human, Diaz is human, Akanji is human, that w last season when we were imperious and when we were at our strongest, it was because John Stones, every line of the pitch was having a massive impact, defensively, massive impact, midfield, massive impact, final third, massive impact. So, yeah. I think that we need to get Stones yeah. back. Just a bit weird. We don't actually discuss the £80 million defender we signed, do we? Uh, Gradiel, that much. It's as no. if he's he's come in, he's done all right, but he's been played out of position, so I've seen yeah. plenty of criticism of him as well. And it's weird how you can make that signing. And yeah, I've not seen him discussed that much. What do you two, how do you two think he's done? Well, that's the thing. You, you touched on it then. He's kind of done okay. He's fine. He's, you know, oh. there, there's been kind of elements where he's struggled, it's, but sometimes beyond this circumstance. And well, Steve, is it unfair to sign him and put him straight in, in a position he's probably not used to at the well, age I mean, of 21? He's, he's, he has played that position in prior times in his career, so he's right. not wholly unfamiliar, but it's not a strongest position by any stretch. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't say unfair. No, a professional footballer, he should be able to adapt um, by stepping across, you know, five paces to the left. Um <laughs> I just think he's done okay. He, he's he's been fine. I think far better things are to come from him, and we can all kind of see that. And I think that's why maybe we, we don't talk about him so much. Mm, but do you not think we're wasting him a bit by playing him there when you've made it's a temporary. I know, I know the yeah. I know the transfer fee should be irrelevant. Really, he either works in the team or he doesn't. But 
I don't know. I think you could get more out of him now. And that left back, it's not that simple. Just move. Yeah, you moved. No, of okay. course. Well, I, not, I was, Ake, yeah, didn't, yeah, Ake, Ake didn't arrive at City and like nail down that left back. He had a disappointing season generally. Then he came of age and then he moved across. And it's not easy for that, for centre-halves, even the best ones, to do this role under Pep. So yeah. I don't know. I think it's... Uh, I'd love to see more of him at centre-half, but again... It's like, like Diaz in a way. It's just like, well, you have to play where you have to play. If that mm. makes sense, you know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with both of you. I think whilst Guardiola's manager Guardiola's been bought to play left back, genuinely. Yeah. No, I, no, he I, probably I, is. Yeah, I, I see in him. Like I've seen a few. Like I I know that I, I know that he's had games where he's really struggled. A lot of that it just comes down to the fact that it's really like a baptism of fire to be told, well, we're going to teach you how to play fullback in a city team that defends on the halfway line. Good luck with that, mate. Do you know what I mean? You're going to be one-on-one yeah. -on -one against some of the fastest, strongest wingers on the planet. So, but I think the reason why I think he has been brought to play fullback is because of his athleticism, because of his physicality, because of his balance, like he's, he's for, for somebody who's left footed, he's very comfortable drifting into the center of the pitch, which is something that Guardiola loves. And for his distribution, I think he's a player who, as he, at his very best, he's going to give you that thing that Zinchenko gave you, where he will be able to play passes that defenders normally won't won't be able to play. And I think that my overall feeling of the direction of travel of this pep team is very much that I can see I, I can see totally the logic in going, you know what? I, I'm all right with the idea of four massive, tall, athletic, strong defenders in the back four, because there's plenty of attacking prowess right across the pitch. I don't think you need I'm not invested in the idea that we need like super attacking fullbacks. No, I, I want I want defenders who can defend and who yeah. can pass the ball forwards. And if they can pass the ball forwards and defend and they've got decent balance, perfect. I'm good. Fair enough. And we can uh, see right. that. We should say we, we, we can see that. We, uh, I'm not alone, am I? We can see that there is an absolute quality player in there. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I, it's I, look, I, so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love him. I, I'm I'm somebody who I, I understand that he's had poor games and I, I completely understand the criticism when he's had poor games. But in the main, I want to see him keep playing left back because I think that if he gets, like if you think about how Ake developed into the left back role and how good he was once he was comfortable there, yo, when Guardiola is comfortable in that position, he's going to be a hell of a fullback. He's going to be a hell of a fullback. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, right, Rodri, I mean, I guess we we, <laughs> we can keep this pretty brief. Steve? No, nah, he's all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got to say, there's been a slight dip from him this season, and discipline has been an issue, of course. Um, but not only that, but you know, there's some, been some wayward passes of, of you know the, the last six months, which have been surprising. But as a whole, I mean, just a magnificent footballer um, and the best in, the, in his position in the world by some distance. Yeah, How it is it? Plugged him to death, aren't we? Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and beyond. But yeah, against Newcastle, he was. I mean. Again, this winter break and all that, yeah, that'll do him the world of good. So, 
how do you... he needs a son, as you can tell. He has to be tanned at all points. Otherwise, he, he will lose his legendary strength. So, <laughs> um, Howard, do you think we do him a disservice by calling him a number six? Uh, I, well, I don't call him that. So, uh, yes, basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've always said best defensive midfielder in the world, blah, blah, blah. But obviously, he's a goal scorer as well. He gets forward. Uh, the role's changed a bit, isn't it? So. Mm. It's not it's not us doing him a disservice. I mean, if you can't make a FIFA 11 team, then, you know, it's just just crazy. <laughs> I mean, they left out the best player in the world in their FIFA 11 Mad. for the period. That FIFA 11 was from the 19th of December last year, just until August for some reason. So, But the guy who was imperious helped take us to a treble and scored the only, the only goal in the Champions League final, couldn't make that 11. Uh, I'd... I don't think we or anyone else should be bothered how he's described as a DM, as a number six, whatever. He is obviously more rounded than that. As long as you keep playing brilliantly, you can call him what you want. <laughs> the goalkeeper, whatever, I don't care. So, But I mean, even though he scores seven goals and they're always in the previous title winning campaign, I think. So yeah, he's just a giant, isn't he? So, no matter where good, he plays. He's good further forward as well. He's not just... Yeah, destroyer in front of the defence. He's so much more than that. So. But no matter where he plays, and he does obviously have licence to kind of go forward and he scores goals mm. and everything. But fundamentally, he is our fulcrum. So if you're the fulcrum of a team, then number six is about right. I think it's it's, it's fitting. Okay, fair enough. Um, brief word on the two new boys. Like I'm, I'm, I'm quite. Uh, I, I'm I'm loath to be too negative about somebody who's been at the club just for a few months. I think whether yeah. it's Gvardiol or it's Nunes or it's um, Kovacic, I, I, I have a lot more. I think they just deserve a lot more leeway first season. Um, Stee, Kovacic, Nunes, like do you? So I guess the way that I'll frame this is: Do you think they both have a future at City? Kovacic is. I'm far more pleased with him than I am with Nunes. I didn't fully understand the transfer of Nunes, and he's done. He actually hasn't done anything since, to be honest. And dis, dissuade me of that kind of confusion. It, it's there's nothing against him as a player, and he's got attributes which are you know very beneficial to us. But did we need that player? Is was he the right player? I think that's the most important question of all. Was he the right player? And I don't think he was for us. Uh, right now, whereas Kovacic, we needed we we needed that kind of Gundo replacement. We needed his kind of nous and his savvy in midfield and his passing and his and his understanding of of the, of the movement of a football match, which for me is right up there. Um, he's a very intelligent footballer, um, as was Gundo, of course. So Kovacic, I'm far more pleased with and. The same goes for his performances, particularly at the start of the season. I mean, he started so well for us, and we were thinking, wow, he's hit the ground running. He's immediately understood what is needed of him in his pep side. Um, there's been injuries, there's been a dip in form since, but there's been sufficient good performances overall for me to, you know, I'm very happy with Kovacic. And I, I enjoy watching him play as well. Um, Nunes, oh, I, I, you know what? I just don't want Nunes to be a player that we talk about for the next two or three years in the manner that we have done in the last six months. I, I want him to go to one of the two extremes. 
either be a Calvin Phillips or be a success at City. I just don't want him to be that middle ground where it's always like, yeah, but he did that really good thing in the 36th minute, you know, and, 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 oh yeah, but that was a lovely bit of skill he did in the second half. But, but then he was also a kind of at fault for the goal. I, I don't want him to be that player. We, we, we can't be kind of taking on players like that in the long term. Howard, do you want to, do you want to chime in on, on Nunes and Kovacic? And then after that, what I'd like you to do is tell me where you land on the Jeremy Doku discussion, which actually surprisingly has become a discussion. I've, I've seen enough uh, big accounts chat about Doku to know that, all right, like that's a a live thing right now. So the floor is yours, sir. I think I made my thoughts clear on that last week, but I'll I'll say them again in a minute. So uh, I guess you have to bring Grealish into that, don't you? So yeah, uh, again, patience. I'll have patience with signings, but new second half of the season is with City as always. You need all hands on deck. So uh, this would be the time for Nunes to start contributing more, and I hope he's taken on board. Now we've got this January with breaks and no midweek games. He's taken on board what Pep wants from him and he needs to contribute. I say needs. I re- yeah, it would really help for him to contribute in the second half of the season. We just haven't seen much of him. There were flickers, weren't there, uh, in Saudi Arabia and before the new year of him putting in some performances. But, you know, we need to see it in big games consistently from the start more. Kovacic, I just, he was bought as a good, solid squad addition at a price that suits and I I find the you know he had a huge wobble at Arsenal of course went off, he started well went off the rails a bit he's a solid squad player and I, we've got what we paid for I find some of the criticism strange that he's not all things to all men uh, in his performances and I find him criticised sometimes the Newcastle game so why it's just one of those players where you just like if you didn't watch the game, you'd have no idea if you had a good game or not by looking going on Twitter because some people think he's brilliant. Some people think he's utterly horrific. Uh, and we've always had players like that. Uh, I get Steve's point. It's like, can he just be one or the other, please, so we know where we stand? Because they, they drag you down and get really tiring, these discussions, really. I mean, I guess Gabriel Jesus, in a way, was one of those players who would, there's always some players in your squad that are divisive and get different opinions. I think he's been fine, to be honest. So uh, he's probably he's capable of a bit more, but he has not been a failure, definitely, for especially why we bought him and what we paid for him. So, And he brings experience to the squad. Doku, my point from last week is, I just find it weird that a small element of our fan base seem taken aback that we're, we want to celebrate this player who's been... He was bought as a raw talent. He was bought. He was yeah, trumpeted as that when we bought him. And I think he's generally been sensational. And as soon as he has a bad match, some people want to say, told you so. You didn't tell us anything. He's, again, is he 21 or something like that? He obviously yeah. will have bad m- matches. He has. He needs to develop. And everything he speaks, when he speaks, you can tell. He's very self-critical which is exactly what you want from a player looking to become better I think he's been an absolute revelation most of the time after a very timid quiet uh, debut at the Etihad where he seemed you know a bit overawed by everything 
And he's the point of being a football supporter, along with the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, is that it gets you on the edge of your seat, it gets you off your seat. He's really entertaining. The most tiresome, the only tiresome part is he's dragged. he's been dragged into a Jack Grealish ain't all that conversation because of how of of how big an instant impact he's had. But for me, he's an absolute he's been a nine out of ten this season so far. Because why would you have expected any more of him than what he's already delivered? He's he's just brilliant. He's really brilliant and he should only get better. So the the little things, you know, I, his ceiling is just super, super, super high, really. So exciting times for him, I think, and a brilliant acquisition. It's because he's a winger. Steve. I mean, we, we, sorry, mate, but we can go back to Raheem Sterling. I mean, hell, we could go back all the way to Paul Simpson. Wingers just get the most flack, but they are the most divisive for footballers in any fan base, not just City. But because it's City, you know, we see it so often, particularly now, obviously, in the modern era with Twitter, that if a winger has a poor game, if he tries to take on a fullback and a fullback just happens to get the better of him over the course of 90 minutes, he's garbage, rubbish. Oh, what a bad signing. And it's so extreme the responses to a winger having a 6 out of 10 game mm-hmm. to a fullback having a 6 out of 10 game. Um, and it's just always been the way. I would say all wide players, in a way. I'd say full. Yeah. We've got a history yeah. of. Uh... Yeah, of fullbacks being the same. You know what, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like they must make the difference more than anyone else in the middle, in a way. That's very true, that, yeah. Yeah, I go along with that. Um, Steve, Jack Grealish? Um, Well, if we're basically... You know, basing it on August to now, then we have to say he's been a disappointment. Um, He's kind of flat to deceive too often. Um, But there has been signs that he's coming back into the fray and that he's he's showing kind of the Jack Grealish of what we saw last season. And so I'd kind of like want to reserve my judgment on Jack really until like February or March, particularly with such mm. an important March coming up. Let's see how he fares in the second half because I mean, you know, if we're judging him from August to now, then yeah, he probably gets a poor rating. Um but I think better things are to come and we're seeing signs of that. Yeah, definitely. And also I think I think that we've quietly we've had a few players who have had a really injury disrupted season so far and i think Grealish does fall into into that category where it's hard to get a rhythm if you're in the team for 10 days and then you're out for seven days and you can't train for seven days and he's had i think three or four separate occasions where he's either had illness or he's had niggles or he's had injuries that have kept him out for a, a week two weeks and we it's just really disruptive that. And so it's very difficult to then make a call on how they've done so far. But I completely agree. I think he's he's got a massive part to play in the next, the second half of the season. And also, I go back to that idea of, I'm glad the break is now. I think it's a moment where we can begin to shape fitness, both in terms of the legs and also in the mind, in the players for the run-in. Howard, I want you to chat to me about two players who I think have been our two standout, with the exception of Rodri, the two standout players in in the first half of the season for me have been Bernardo Silva and Phil Foden. Um, And I want you to talk to me about them together because I think they've been, quietly, I think it's been the two of them together that have been so important for the good things that have happened. 
nothing more to say. <laughs> You've nailed it. Well done. Okay. Let's move on to uh, Erling Haaland and Julian Alvarez. Now, I think Phil Foden quietly was the word I was going to use. He's having his best season. Uh, and Bernardo Silva is just being Bernardo Silva again. He is the most under the radar player probably of all. Uh, put him in seven different positions and he'll he'll do his thing. We can argue over whether he should be on the right wing, whether he should be alongside Rodri. But he's been excellent recently. And yeah, he's just on top of his game right now. Uh, as he has been for most of the time he's been here. He is just a unique player. Phil Foden, of course, moving into the middle. Hurrah. Uh, he's up there. Is he one of our top three players of the season? Undoubtedly. I mean, I don't know what else to say, really. So maybe it's better you speak. He's just been... I don't. I asked you last week, is it because he's moved position or was he going to be brilliant anyway? Personally, I think he was going to put this season in anyway because he's had that Jack Grealish type season, previous season, stop, start, stop, start, like can't get momentum, rhythm, get in the side week after week after week previously. Now, if he's playing regularly, Phil Foden, I think it doesn't matter where you put him. He might be slightly better middle. Yeah, we could have that discussion. But I think if he plays regularly, you will see him play like this any season you know he will be 8 out of 10 every game minimum uh, he could still be a bit more deadly in front of goal because he's always been one of our best finishers but he's he is essential him staying fit for the rest of the season or both these players is almost as essential as Rodri staying fit and Kevin De Bruyne staying fit now for how mm. the second half of the season pans out I agree I just think from a system point of view the way that the way that we play whether we play whether we play like we played last season or we play like we played this season, I think that the combination of characteristics that Phil and Bernardo give you are just so important. Um, everybody knows how I feel about Foden, so I'm going to put that to one side. I'm going to chat about Bernardo Silva. I, I think that it would have been a catastrophic disaster of, from a footballing point of view, nuclear proportions if Bernardo Silva had said last summer, I want to go to Saudi. Because I think reluctantly the club would probably have accepted a bid because the Saudis would have had the money to pay big money. But I think it would just would have been a catastrophic disaster. I think that Bernardo, at his best, which he's been for most of this first half of the season, is he's almost like the unsung hero in that he, he's he's a little bit of the John Stones in that. In, in every area of the pitch, he can have a massive impact. If he wants to, he can go and play as a number six and collect the ball and, you know, be the be the deep-lying playmaker. If he wants to, he can go and play on the right wing and skin a fullback, right? If he wants to, he can kind of play as a floating false nine and go and bang worldy goals in. I think the one, and it's not even a criticism, but the one thing you want is you want a little bit more in terms of pure numbers from Bernie. You want to see more goals and more assists and and for no other reason than because he's got them in his locker. Like, it's that simple. I think that Bernardo Silva can score more goals and can get more assists. So, but yeah, I just think he's been, he's been so important. And I'm at the point now with Bernie where I wouldn't, I just would never sell him. I'd just, I'd tell him, listen, mate, I'm sorry, but you can run your contract down, but we ain't ever going to sell you. Because I just, he's just that important. And he's irreplaceable. He is. Mm. And you know, it, there's this, so one of the things that's happening with the volume of games that 
that you have in a season and they're going to get even bigger next season with the Champions League and then the Club World Cup is you've got to make a decision about how you handle the volume of games. And actually, quietly, one of the things that Guardiola prefers is he prefers a smaller group of versatile players. And I kind of get the logic in that if the, versat if the versatile players are at a really high level. And when you've got fellas like Foden and you've got fellas like Bernardo who essentially can play in four, five, six different positions at a really high level, it's a massive advantage. It's just a huge advantage. It means that you don't need to carry, you know, we obviously, we've got this big thing every year about the transfer window and who wins it and how many players you need to buy. And, you know, even coming into this season, we were, and me included, you're really critical of the business that's done and the squad is too small, et cetera, et cetera. But then we're at the halfway point. We topped our Champions League group, won every single game, which has never been done before. We're joint top of the league, having played the, the same amount of games as Liverpool. We've had our best player injured for the first half of the season. We've had our marquee player quietly injured for nearly two months now. I mean, is the squad size really a problem when you've got that sort of versatility? Well, I mean, we look at team sheets sometimes and don't know how they're going to line up because of the mm. versatility, which might be frustrating for us at the time, but I imagine it's pretty frustrating for the opposition manager as well. Definitely. Look, I think, I was having a discussion the other week with a United fan who said, oh, United will be better once the injuries clear up. I went, all right, you believe that all you want. <laughs> I'm not really bothered. And he said, well, City were lucky with injuries last season, and we were in a way. It's not all luck. It's pep. It's managing your squad. Yeah, Pep is brilliant, I would say. Uh, yeah, you're a slave to fortune in some respects, but he's brilliant at managing uh, the squad for the entire season, which can lead to some tougher times in the first half of the season because he's taking the long view. Uh, it'll only take a couple of injuries and we'll be moaning about the squad size. Exactly. Yeah, but, that's true. That but, the true. G but this is... Our greatest ever manager who's won us loads of trophies. This is how he does it. And maybe he'd want one extra player. Well, I guess Oscar Bob coming through kind of alleviates the problem because it is an extra person in that squad. We probably are still one short, but it's all about, in a way, just who is injured. And we've got to this point in being competitive. As Aysan said, we've very key players out getting long-term injuries. Uh, mm. And long-term injuries have been quite rare for us in recent years, especially to multiple yeah, players in the same season. Steve, um, Haaland and Alvarez are both an interesting conversation and they're going to be the, well not the last two because we'll have a we'll have a quick word on 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 Rico and and Oscar Bob but to sort of wrap up the core of the first team and uh, there's no point in talking about KDB because he's, he's been injured but um Haaland and Alvarez it, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do what we should have done with every player but I didn't want to because it, it can be quite divisive, but we're going to do it with these two. I want you to give me a grade from A to F for both of them. Okay, well, um, Harlan, you have to take in, although, of course, it's no fault of his own, but his injury. Um, and we have to compare him to last season as well. I mean, he's, he's scored a goal every 92 minutes in the league this season. Um, and 
but he's also missed a lot of big chances. So if this was Erling Haaland's first season, we'd be absolutely ecstatic. But in compared to the freakishly prolific Erling Haaland we saw last season, then you'd have to give him, oh God, I'm going to get so much flack for this. You have to give him a B minus. Okay. No, I, um, he's <laughs> yeah. not been great. So he okay. hasn't. Okay. His standard is the best striker in the world. That's yeah. his standard. He can and say, that, well, he's still scoring a goal a game, but it's re- something with him as well. It's just like, he scuffs shots a lot and it's just, it's just not quite there yet. So okay. again, and, and another yeah, one who, who can come back stronger and just absolutely blast it second half of the season. So yeah, he compares himself to himself, doesn't he? At his mentality. So, you know, it's only fair that we do likewise. And, and in that regard, he has fallen a bit short, even though it's still been incredible. His numbers are just off a scale. Um, Alvarez, Again, through no fault of his own, he's been played in a position where he doesn't absolutely excel. It's not his best position. Uh, he's not a number 10. He's a centre-forward. I love his accuracy and his ruthlessness in front of goal. Um, I love him as a player, but his, his touch is just not there for that role. He's he's not a playmaker in any way, shape, or form for me. Um, but what he's given City this season far outweighs you know, any any of his flaws, if you like. So I would give Alvarez a solid B. Okay. Mr. Hawking, can you give Harlan and Alvarez grades, please? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with Sting. I mean, Harlan's ceiling is just higher, so high that I can only use the, it's the eye test. I, I'm not interested in, he, he he could just he could be on two goals a game average. I mean, it's just nonsense, isn't it? Nonsense. We're having this discussion. Well, well, he should really be on two goals a game average. <laughs> one in one in three used to be quite a good return for a striker, and now I'm saying why isn't he averaging two goal average per game? But the eye test said that he was he was not on top of his game. Uh, B negative. There needs to be something in between B and B negative. I'll give both B. I think Alvarez has been generally superb for what he is. Mm. He's an inspired signing, but and he did it worked in midfield at first, but then it stopped working because he's not really suited to that. He's a penalty area player. He's had a couple of off games again. He's done everything in the last two years. He's he's conquered the world, and maybe he needs a rest as well here and there. Absolutely. He's been. He's really covered well as well with Haaland being out just above a B, you know, in a way. He's he's been excellent for us, but yeah, better better playing further up the further up the pitch the better for me for, yeah, for Alvarez. But mm-hmm. you know, he presses, he drops back and he, he can spray a brilliant ball here and there, but you know, he doesn't just because of the standard of players around him, it stands out a bit that he doesn't have a a brilliant touch, but then neither does Haaland. You know, he's and they're not supposed to. They're not, they're not Bernardo Silva. They're not David Silva. They're not Kevin De Bruyne. They're not there really to have to be able to trap a ball brilliantly and you know do these blind passes onto the opposite wing. We didn't really buy them for that. So, but Haaland obviously has a higher ceiling as a striker than anyone else in world football. That's why I give him that grade. Whereas Alvarez has been superb. He's not one of the star players, so it seems weird that he can get a higher grade. But I think it's fair enough because Alvarez is continuing on his upward arc for me. Mm. I, I I would give them both Bs. I think that um, yeah, I'm fine with that. From from yeah. a from a just from a purely um, number of daft chances that he's missed, Harland goes from an A to a B. 
uh, and Alvarez, I think uh, after starting super, super hot, I think he's dipped. But I think that that might just be an accumulation of minutes, an accumulation of mental fatigue. The fact that he's been playing in a position that wasn't really his natural position. Um, so yeah, but I, I think they've, I think they've both been fine. Um, right, Steve. Very briefly, Oscar Bob Rico Lewis. Um, are you surprised by the impact that both of them have had? For this season, not with Rico. I mean, that was all last season. Um, mm. Clearly, he's just going to be at City for the next 10 years. He's going to be an integral part of all successes that we enjoy. Um, he gets it, and he has the ability to do it. Um, and, you know, it, it's so thrilling to see a lad come through the academy, a City fan, and, you know, doing what he does. Oscar Bob, we have to remember where he was in the pecking order back in August. Um or I should say July, you know, he was behind like McAtee in terms of who we thought, oh, I think he's going to get some valuable minutes this season. Um, and Palmer too, of course, before he went to Chelsea. And then now it's it's all Oscar Bob and, and he has grasped that opportunity with both hands. He has the ability, um, how, how do I say this? With Cole Palmer, it always looked like he was trying to do the right things. Pep wants me to do this. And a lot of that, by the way, of course, was because he was playing out of position on on the other wing, to his favourite position. But still, he was always it was always measured and thoughtful. And whereas Oscar Bob, it's instinctive. He again, he gets it, and he has the confidence to just do the simple things, which is wonderful to see from a young player. Because when he's not doing the simple things, when he's doing the intricate things, or you know, he's taking a player on and he's showing bits of his his skill set then he really comes to the fore. He's got that in abundance. Um, really excited by his development this season and, you know, bigger and better things await him and let's hope it's in a city shirt and I'm sure it will be. Howard, do you want a word on on, on the two young lads? No, uh, well, I didn't know enough about Oscar Bob to know whether I should be surprised or not. But yeah, yes, it's just fair. a wonderful thing when someone breaks through like this, is it not? So, mm. and boy, yeah, I'm, He's more than I expected, so it's just brilliant and brilliant for him, brilliant for the squad, brilliant for our future. That a play, when a player breaks through like this and solves some problems as well, so just looking forward to watching him develop. Uh, the only question I put in the notes, Ace, and I was a bit surprised Rico Lewis hasn't, having broken through last season, hasn't played a bit more. I don't mm. know how much he has played, but it feels like he hasn't played much, yeah, despite. Kyle Walker playing every single week. So, yeah, I mean, I just he's don't been think... fine when he's played. You know, again, yeah. more more of the same from him. I, I think Rico uh, has be. I think Rico is going to be a midfielder. I think that they. I, I get the sense that Guardiola has decided um, that this season he's going to be used primarily in midfield. So, I, I'm I'm. I'm generally okay with that because I know what his limitations are uh, when he plays in midfield. He's played there um, 365 minutes, Rico, which is less than half of what Kovacic just got on other different positions, but still. Sorry, say that again, Steve. So, uh, sorry, it's, it's 365 league minutes uh, Rico Lewis has played, so that's less than half of Kovacic. I, I, I just use Kovacic as an example because, you know, he's he's been somewhat of a bit part player, Kovacic, you know, and... Um, and yet, Rico's played less than half of his minutes. Mm. I mean, I, I'm a, again. I expect that. I don't expect 
um Guardiola's big on 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 hierarchy and 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 seniority and and so signing somebody like Kovacic it's difficult to then go well Rico is going to play ahead of you in every game yeah yeah and I yeah. and I like Kova I think that that he mm. will prove to be a a useful signing um all right lads well look that was that was our little recap of the squad and 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 how they've done in the first half of the season. Before I jump into some quick fire questions to to wrap this podcast up, looking forward to the second half of the season. Howard, I'm going to start with you. Um, how confident do you feel if you compare your confidence to around the Aston Villa <laughs> defeat? Oh, Waymer, Waymer. The season was finished after Aston Villa. <laughs> okay. No, but I I actually look at I mean again it's like we're going through the the Pep Guardiola season cycle, yeah, one season cycles like you never know what's coming. It's like never, never give up, <laughs> never give up uh, believing in this team because you'll probably look foolish. Uh, we will have a season where it just won't happen. This might be it, and so be it. We can't win everything or be right on it, but mindset wise is miles better compared to six weeks ago and I looked up I gave up on last season and we won the treble and I think <laughs> I think about when it was I gave up uh I don't know it's like obviously we still have with the the away lot the you know the obvious <laughs> and expected and I'm I'm sure what happened again this season away loss at Spurs followed by the Premier League charges. That was in February. So, you know, it was on a February of last season that I was like as low as I felt as a City fan for quite a few years. And then we won and won, won the treble. And even after that, even after uh, Pep reinvigorated everyone and we beat Villa the weekend after and everyone's fired up, we still had that. We had a week where we threw away that game at Forest and we were peppered by Leipzig and drew at Leipzig in the second half. You know, it, it, we didn't get it together until properly until March in many respects so you just never give up on this team I'm feeling I'm feeling far far better than I was six weeks ago it's fair to say I think uh, you know the, the wins at Everton and Newcastle should not be underestimated they are whatever you think of the teams or whatever they what state they were in at the, that point and Everton were in a good state you know they, they have been playing you put the deducted points back on and they're, they're higher up the table don't underestimate how big those wins were mm, to be honest no so I agree they are they can be I'm not saying they are they can be season changing and defining absolutely um, Steve what's more important this season for you the Champions League or the Premier League in terms of what competition you want to win Premier League all day long um, last season, we had to win the Champions League um, to get a bat monkey off our back. But now, four times in a row, make history. And we are history makers. That's that's one aspect which was never really, we're never given credit for. We make history, this club. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. Some quick fire questions to wrap this up. Steve, if you were God, which job would you give to Jose Mourinho next? <laughs> um Match day medic, maybe. Just have to go on the pitch, beat the players, get harangued by a manager. That would be pretty fitting. Um, fourth official, have him. Yeah. Fourth official would be perfect, yeah. Jose is a referee, lads. Come on. <laughs> I would I would say, I don't know, work down the sewers, just in, in keeping with his personality. I was suggesting yeah. a managerial role when I 
Oh, I see. So, Sorry. Uh, well, well, Manchester United then. <laughs> I don't know. I just I, How, honestly, I don't. I don't want to see him. Honestly, <laughs> at United, it'll just be oh my god. Yeah, it'll be like I have to see too much of him. So, uh, get him a job in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia was going to be my answer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Ivan Tony is back this weekend. Does he not have a moral responsibility to remain at Brentford? For the rest of the season. I don't know who wrote this question. I disagree Me. with the premise of it. I disagree with the tone of it. I find it <laughs> mildly Why? disrespectful. But okay. Why? Who's been disrespected? You. Ivan Tony. What what moral responsibility does he have if getting himself banned for eight months, I would say, yeah, is a moral responsibility Brent, not to immediately leave Brentford. Brentford. Get- if Brentford get offered a hundred million pound and they accept that bid, then Brentford are happy to sell Ivan Tony in January. And moral responsibility and a any footballer in any situation is basically like a contradiction in a sentence. If you have footballer X and then later on in the sentence moral responsibility, I'm sorry, but you're not paying. Well, no one's offering hundred million for a twenty-seven year old with eighteen months left on his contract for starters. And I guess that's where me and Ivan Tony <laughs> think of the world differently. Because if I was him, I would have any thought of leaving in this January transfer window because I've let my club down big time. End of. Now, if the club come to him and say, look, we want to sell you, that's completely different. They've taken it out of his hands. But if he actively agitates to move when his club say, we want you to stay, then sorry, that is bang out of order for me. And I know there's no morals in football and I'm overthinking it, but... No. Fair enough. Fair he's, enough. He's so score, by the way, he is so scoring this weekend. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Of course he is. He's going to or FPL he's so He's so yeah. fired up, he'll get sent off after about four months. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he has he has backed himself to for that to happen. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can get two to one on that happening. So, uh. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Matt Brown on Twitter. Who's going to play Stefan in the movie when all of this blows up and we get cleared? So we're obviously talking about the uh, the Premier League charges and, and Stefan's week in the media this week. So, Mr. Hawking, who's playing Stefan? You've, you've said it. Well, for some reason, don't be offended, <laughs> Stefan. Joe Pesci came into my head. <laughs> <laughs> don't be offended, Joe Pesci. <laughs> Danny DeVito, I mean, what the hell? <laughs> uh, Danny DeVito came into my head second. Oh, no, my God. I'm not saying, no, uh, is it Stefan's not six foot? No, he's not, no. It's really Thanks, not. Howard. Thanks, hey, Sam, you've absolutely nailed it. Uh, it's Tom Cruise, obviously. There you <laughs> go. But obviously, <laughs> but he the, the big thing is he does his own stunts, you see. So mm. I have this vision of uh, in the film based on the true story of, of Stefan grappling with Simon Jordan in the Tuxport car park, rolling across the the bonnet of uh, Simon's Rolls Royce, personalised number plate, of course. <laughs> uh, and it just, yeah, I want this film being made immediately. Tom Cruise would be perfect for the role, I think. And I hope Stefan would would agree with that decision. So. I, I, I'm going to have to go back to the 1990s for this one, I think. Um, and I think Jack Nicholson, because just Ooh. imagine it very much, you can't handle the truth. To Everton thing. I like it. <laughs> Oof. I like it. See, I was thinking about my cousin Vinny once. Is that why? <laughs> <laughs> That's where it's come from. Oh. <laughs> I, think 
Howard, 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 Howard. I think it's time I wrapped up this podcast. I've got to be honest with you. I think we've, uh, I think we've overstayed our welcome for the listeners' ears. I'm just going to put it. Like. We're, we're about to find out if Stefan listens to all of the findings. Yes, he does. He listens to. I, I know for a fact that that he listens to every podcast that we put out, which is pretty incredible. Um, so yeah, you'll definitely be getting a DM from him uh, at some point in the next few hours. I, I Hang on. Know. We've all agreed on Tom Cruise. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, uh, Tom yeah. Cruise was my shout after. Yeah. I think it's pretty yeah. obvious. It's a no brainer that, that Mr. Cruise is going to play Stefan in, in that particular film. Um, right. I'm wrapping this up. Um, I'm ending this. The, the party is over. Mr. Hawking. Thank you very much. Thank you. I really enjoyed that. It's excellent. Mr. Tudor, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Me too. To everybody who listened, this was the Friday show on the 9320 podcast. 9320 podcast. The 9320 player is a membership only service that we have that provides hours of podcast content on city and the premier league in general every week um it's available via our website for five pounds a month and you can add it to your iphone or your android phone and then you'll never miss a podcast and it's just excellent value and it's probably a bit more informative than the mainstream media certainly when it comes to manchester city so if you're not already a member go and check it out and sign up um in the meantime be safe be well and as always up the trouble winning blues <laughs>